Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. Welcome back to Coog's Talk Stock with WSU Extension. I'm your host, Sarah Dreger, a graduate student here at WSU. I'm studying ruminant nutrition within the animal sciences department. Today we'll be discussing one of my favorite topics, horses, specifically what it takes to get into the horse world, including buying versus leasing, basic care, costs, and more. I'm joined today by Natalie Sullivan. Natalie has a master's degree in equine nutrition she has worked and competed in the industry and now runs her own consulting business, On Course Equine. Welcome, Natalie. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Hi. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Yes, fantastic. I grew up in Montana uh, in the United States Pony Club, which is a longstanding youth organization uh, with with clubs around the the world, really. And that that club really sparked my interest early on in horse care and specifically horse nutrition. So when I went to college, um, I eventually ended up getting a bachelor's of science in animal science at Montana State University with an equine nutrition focus and uh, then went right into the industry. I was super lucky to find a fantastic job with a a large agricultural co-op. They sent me out to the Pacific Northwest and I traveled Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana for for over a decade actually managing their equine nutrition business. And then um, I, I moved moved to a different agricultural co-op for a couple of years focused around Seattle and have just talked to hundreds if not thousands of horse owners about their nutrition plans and how to improve them. I've walked into hundreds if not thousands of feed rooms across the United States and seen how people choose to keep care and feed horses. And um, all the while, I've I've had my own horses, competed uh, modestly in the sport of three-day eventing and dressage, and um, now have my own little homestead back in Montana, where I was lucky enough to, to go private with it, my own consulting business. Um, like you said, that's On Course Equine Nutrition, LLC. And then a, a side project of that is Rate My Horse Supplement that I just launched last week, actually. It's a uh, review website for horse feeds and supplements. Wow, so interesting. So how would you recommend a new rider get experience or figure out what they want to do in the horse world? Yeah, I just love that you're asking this question. Um, for most girls, <laughs> I was certainly one of them, you know, horses are, are a big interest. And for the lucky ones that get to um, explore that passion, you know, I think it's in today's world where horses are just so expensive. And um, well, honestly, the cheapest part of getting a horse is buying it. <laughs> uh, the annual care is really expensive. So I think one of the best ways in today's um, horse culture to get started and 
really start understanding horses under good instruction is to consider leasing um, or even sharing horses at local riding facilities. It's becoming more and more common, I think, you know, as, as people become more urbanized, horses become more urbanized and, and expensive, it's, it's becoming more accessible to share horses in these ways. Um, leasing is a situation where you would um, usually pay a monthly fee to have all the experience of owning the horse without the financial responsibility of that. And prices will vary a lot if you choose to lease a horse, um, but you do have responsibility for their veterinary care and board fees usually, but you don't have to outright buy the horse. There's some also there's also some cool um, horse share opportunities that are popping up more and more, usually around the bigger cities, where you might be able to you know you buy in to be able to come um, take part in you know, riding a horse, caring for them on certain days of the week. And, um, or, you know, if you, if you're, um, completely new to horses, you might just consider going and taking regular lessons at a local riding facility, whether you're interested in English or Western would be a big question. Finding the right barn is certainly important, but, um, just taking lessons and, and learning about horses. I, honestly, I'd spend a couple of years doing that before consider buying. That's an excellent idea. Horses are a huge time and financial commitment. Um, they could be advertised as like green broke, eater, midder, intermediate, uh, advanced rider, while others are push button or advertised as beginner. Can you talk a little bit about matching a horse to your skill level or what those terms mean? Absolutely. Um, there is such an infinite <laughs> spectrum of, of experience, uh, talent, um, you know, rideability, trainability of horses across so many different breeds and disciplines, you know, ages, the gender of the horse is going to matter, you know, which of those categories they fall into that you just mentioned. Um, before you commit yourself to any horse, whether you're buying, sharing, or leasing, uh, there is an there are opportunities, and it is relatively common in the horse industry to trial a horse. Uh, usually, what you do is you buy insurance on that horse for a week or two weeks, or maybe even a month, and you and it's. It's a unique agreement between the owner and the potential buyer or leaser, and you would um, take that horse home and and experience that horse yourself, um, because horses' behaviors can change a lot between you know a familiar space like their home riding arena versus taking them to a new place, a new herd. You know, trailering them to events can be, uh, you can find, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, but a completely different beast um, when, when horses are exposed to different environments. So again, uh, a good opportunity to take advantage of is a trial. 
you know, if, if you have experience with horse care on some level and or you have a very competent uh, instructor or mentor available to you as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. Wish I've done that before. Um, so if you're, again, looking for a horse, what are some health questions you should ask? Should you get a vet check? Oh, yeah. Fantastic question. I'm actually in the process of selling a young horse myself right now. And, um, you know, if you're looking to buy, there's different protocols that depend a lot on the cost of the horse. Um, You know, if you're going to spend, it it very, very much depends, uh, to answer your question, it very much depends on what you're going to do with the horse. You know, obviously if you're, if you're getting a horse as a companion pet or, you know, for your, your young kid to sit on once every other week, you know, vet checks probably not going to be worth the cost because you're probably going to want to buy, you know, an older horse that's, um, uh, doesn't have, that isn't very hyper. Right. And so, you know, the value of a vet check is very low, but as the cost of the horse increases and your level of activity, you know, how often you're going to ride the horse increases, the level of work you're going to demand from that horse increases, then yeah, vet check is a good idea. And it, it can be as simple as a lameness exam where the veterinarian will flex different joints, stress those joints, and then ask the horse to trot off and, you know, make notes of any lameness or irregularity in the gait. And it could get as, as veterinary pre-purchase exams can get up into the thousands and thousands of dollars if you're looking at, you know, x-raying, <laughs> nose to tail. Um, you know, I, I plan on spending this this month, probably between six to $800 doing pre-purchase exams on my own horse and having those available for potential buyers. And it helps me as a seller because it lowers the threshold for getting people out to come look at the horse, um, especially if they're traveling distances across the country to come see a young, young horse potential. So um, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it can be really important, but isn't always necessary. So when you're kind of selecting a horse or what you want to do, um, do you have any recommendations for whether people go into Western English, a specific style or sport that you recommend? Oh gosh, that is very personal. (laughs) I know it's a hard question. Yeah. You know, I think one way to think about that question is to think about community. You know, horses to me, and I know to so many of my friends, it's the same case. To me, horses are are extra special because of the community of people that you that surround you, um, with that like minded horse owners, if you will. So, I think what you should think about when you're considering Western versus English is, you know, what are your friends doing? What, what do you want to do when you sit on a horse? Do you want to 
climb a mountain? Does that sound fun? Or would you like to work cattle? Would you like to speed race like in games or barrel racing? Or does, you know, jumping sound more fun? <laughs> does, um, you know, prancing around in a dressage arena, really dialing in on your horse's, you know, movement and, and balance and suppleness. If, if that sounds like fun to you and your friends are doing it, then you could go try uh, many different disciplines in your area too. You could take lessons from multiple different facilities that are, you know, um, doing different horse disciplines and see what strikes you. There's infinite things to do with horses. That's, I think, one of the addictive qualities of horse ownership is you're always learning. And part of that is you're always learning new things to do with horses, you know, whether it's driving minis in carts or, you know, pulling large loads with draft horses, jumping, you know, um, Western cattle work, all those things are are fun to do with horses. Yeah, thank you. I know that's a difficult question with everyone has their own preferences, but you did awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, community is such a big yes. part of horse ownership. So find your community first and then choose a discipline. <laughs> so before you buy or lease, you need to have a safe place to keep that animal. Can you go over some facility needs for from your own property and boarding facilities? Okay, yeah, let's let's start with home care or home horse management because there are so many factors to consider if you're bringing home your first horse. Um, you know, just something like the amount of land that you need per horse is a very important consideration. You know, you want to be careful that you don't put too many horses um on small acreage because manure management and, and parasite control becomes very difficult. And you don't want your property to, you know, become one big dirt, dirt pile <laughs> so uh, that attracts flies and other insects. You know, your neighbors wouldn't be very happy about that. So the average or recommend, no, recommended acreage per horse is one and a half to two acres. Again, that's one and a half to two acres per horse for um, optimal management of that space. If you have the land available, then the next things to consider before you even bring that horse home are what are you going to do with the manure? You know, are, are the horses going to be out in pasture and you're going to drag that manure? Are you going to compost it? Are you going to pick it up and remove it? Because boy, I can tell you from experience, <laughs> manure piles up shockingly fast. And so having a plan of how to manage that manure waste is so, so important. Again, so that you, you know, keep up on the, the quality of pasture and just the aesthetics of your property and don't attract too many uh, insects and other parasites. Um, another big consideration is how you're going to to receive or stack hay, especially if you're in colder climates where you have long winters, you're going to have to stack and store a considerable amount of hay. And that takes up a lot of space. You know, um, the, uh, 
on average, a standard size horse is going to eat about four tons of hay a year. So that could be anywhere from oh, 80 to 100 plus bales of hay per horse that needs to be stacked and stored somewhere. It's certainly easier and nice in cold or very wet climates to have an indoor storage space, you know, like a shed or a barn. But um, lots of people have hay out under heavy duty tarps. It's probably a little difficult, more difficult in eastern Washington where wind can pick up considerably. But uh, again, consider where and how you're going to store your hay. Another consideration is mud management in addition to manure management. You know, horses are big, heavy creatures and, and their hooves can really tear up land surprisingly fast. So I highly recommend considering um, building up confinement spaces. And usually a confinement space or a sacrifice area, it's sometimes called, is a small paddock or pen, maybe an extension off of a stall where horses can get out and they can move around a little bit, but they're confined away from, you know, grassy pastures. And it's really important just about any environment in the Pacific Northwest that you consider how to manage the mud that's going to be created in those confinement spaces. And there's lots and lots of different resources out there, you know, from just simple sand and gravel bases to, you know, specialized plastic liners uh, to, man to manage that mud. And that gets ex especially important if you're in some sort of riparian area, right? Uh, it's really important to manage the runoff from consi confinement spaces so you don't pollute local streams and stuff. Yeah, a sacrifice area can really save your valuable pasture. Um, can you touch a little bit on fencing? Ooh, yeah. Oh, fencing gets kind of personal as well. You know, there's so much aesthetic uh, qualities to fencing. Um, that make people choose one type of fence or another. But I highly recommend, um, at the minimum, a smooth barbed wire. A smooth barbed wire, well, or non-barbed wire, if you will, is, is relatively safe. You know, it's relatively inexpensive, easy to put up. Um, and from there, you should probably have at least three or four strands of wire and um, make sure it's highly visible to the horses. Usually go up to about four or four and a half feet tall. And then after beyond that, you gets a lot more expensive if you're going to do no climb type fencing, wood uh, fencing, or specialized like hot wire fencing. There's a lot of... Um, vinyl type fencing out there that looks gorgeous but is is relatively expensive but um in general fencing needs to be safe no sharp edges um no corners where horses can get stuck and get kicked by the herd mates you want it highly visible and um, i really like fencing that is flexible as well uh, my husband and i just purchased five acres here in Missoula, Montana, and we ended up putting in the, the Gallagher um, 
Equifence, which I absolutely love. It's a New Zealand style fencing, uh, a high tensile hot wire with a white plastic coating over it. So it's very visible. Once it's up, it's very easy to tighten. Like if the deer hit it, it, it doesn't require a lot of posts. So it's can actually be quite affordable. That's one of my my favorite fencings out there. Any other basic care before we move on? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking if you're if you're going to be keeping your first horse at home, another consideration is where are you going to ride, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> you bring this horse home to ride. So, so, you know, if you're lucky, you might be able to have uh, an open relatively flat space in your pasture. You could keep it mowed down um, to give yourself room. Some people will will you know add footing into that space for so you can ride more days of the year. But if you can't ride at home or don't have the space, you got to consider how are you going to get your horse out to the trails? How are you going to get them out to other local facilities? And you'd certainly need a, a good safe horse trailer for that. Um, and then you mentioned the boarding option. You know, I, boarding is is more and more popular all the time as land prices increase and and people and horses become more dense in urban areas. Boarding can run anywhere from, gosh, you know, four hundred dollars a month all the way up to a thousand dollars a month, depending on where you're located, what style discipline you're involved in. Um, but be prepared to pay around $600 a month, I think is average. Uh, hay prices, land prices, electricity, facility maintenance. Um, there's a lot of cost involved in running a boarding facility. And unfortunately, those costs have all gone up over the last decade. So boarding is quite expensive, but you also get the flexibility of having someone take care of your horse for you. So you don't have to be there every day. You can leave on vacation without (laughs) thinking about it and, uh, you know, making sure that those horses have social interaction and, and, uh, somebody's eyes on them all the time. So certainly advantages and disadvantages of both boarding and home care situation. Yeah, the horse world can be very confusing. Um, How can you find a trainer or boarding facility that matches you? Are there any things to look for or red flags to look out for? Yeah, great question. You know, I just had um, several young ladies reach out to me who are moving to Missoula, and they reached out on Facebook groups. I think if you if you you know, find a Facebook group in the local area that you're in or moving to and start asking some questions or asking for recommendations, there's going to be certain people that pop up over and over and over again, people who've been around for a long time with good reputations. And beyond that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, just don't commit to one place until you go and you know, meet the people and ride the horses and, you know, understand their management of those horses. There's a a lot of variability there. So leave yourself open and just go try several different places. Owning a horse can be very expensive. Um, What are some expected costs? I know these will all vary based on where you live, what kind of horse you have, 
if you have land you're keeping it on or if you're boarding, but can you give us some rough numbers on the financial commitment, maybe on a yearly budget? Yeah, sure. I've, I do a pretty, I keep a pretty strict budget myself for my own horses. So I was able to dig through and, and pull out my averages as well as there is some documentation of average horse owner costs, you know, and on Google Scholar and, and other um, scientific sites. But the top consideration, cost considerations I came up with is that um, hay feed and supplements on average are going to cost you about $5 a day per horse. I think that's a really fair estimate for the vast majority of horse owners out there that are riding their horses consistently. So that will add add up to about 1800 or probably closer to $2,000 per year just to feed them. Um, That doesn't include boarding or any of the costs associated with managing the grass in your pastures, like fertilizer, soil tests, or you know, the equipment necessary to maintain those pastures. Beyond that, vet care, you know, can can be as basic as $300 a year. However, if you have just one horse emergency, such as, you know, a hurt leg or a colic, those costs go up very quickly. <laughs> they can, you know, from a minimum of um, hundred few hundred dollars all the way up to tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the equine emergency. So something that I did really on as soon as I was out on my own and financially independent, I started my own savings account. And I kept that savings account in case of major horse emergencies only. You know, there is equine insurance available out there. Um, but it is quite expensive. So I highly recommend starting your own savings account, you know, whether it be a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars, that's going to give you a really good idea of um, what you, it's going to help during that emergency to know how much you have to spend and therefore, you know, what level of care you're willing to to do during that emergency. So start a savings account anywhere from, you know, $500 to $10,000, depending on, um, you know, your situation, your horse's situation. But bare bones minimum, you know, with a dental floating and a regular health checkup and a couple of vaccines, you're looking at $300 a year. Plus deworming and vaccination is going to be $100 a year. So we're looking at, you know, $400 there on top of 2000 for for feeding them. And then shoeing is a really big annual cost consideration for horses as well. If you use your horses regularly, especially trail riding a lot in rocky areas, you're going to need to shoe your horses probably an average of six times per year. Depending on your, your location, you're looking at paying 80 to all the way up to $140 per shoeing. So you're looking at about $600 a year. Um, So that takes you up to $3,000 per horse annually for basic maintenance. 
And then it just goes up from there, Sarah. <laughs> Facility maintenance, fencing, electricity, footing, uh, trucks and trailer maintenance, tack. Um, costs can be infinite from here on out. Yeah, you can really spend as much as and more than what you have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My husband and I are doing a lot of work um, updating this horse facility that we just bought a year ago, you know, we've already spent tens of thousand dollars on new fencing and um, footing. Footing was a big one for confinement areas and fencing too, or um, we have paneled confinement areas. So um, very, very expensive, but baseline, you should budget if it's your first horse about $250 a month. Thank you so much. This has been so valuable. Are there any resources you would like to re- recommend um, to check out before ch- purchasing or getting into horses? Oh my gosh, yes, I have many, and I think everybody should use them, abuse them, and take advantage of your resources. Um, veterinarians, of of course, are top of the list, and um, any local 4-H or United States Pony Clubs are fabulous for not only youth but for you know, um, enthusiastic um, people over 20 as well. <laughs> the United States Pony Club has horsemanship uh, groups that are for um, adults too to go through their their educational program. That's quite unique. You know, I am a huge fan and tell every horse owner I talk to to take advantage of your local county extension office. Uh, You know, every land-grant university across the country, for Washington, that would be Washington State University, of course. For Montana, it's Montana State University. They have extension offices in every county of that state. And your tax dollars are already paying for those extension offices. So, So many, many, many of their services are free. So I recommend looking... uh, to your extension agency if you're looking for advice on everything from you know what weeds and plants and shrubs are toxic to horses what kind of fertilizer should you use for your horse pasture um you know for other equine resources they would be you know if you, if you have a horse or um 4H leader or extension agent they're going to be, you know, networked into the community and can help you extensively. But extension agents are awesome. Um, Even in Washington state, I know there's some grants from the um, conservation districts and extension agencies for things like composting and manure management. So definitely look into those as well. And then, you know, there's nutritionists like me as well. Um, I talk to new horse owners every week. You know, the what to feed your horses is has gotten massively complicated. It's not a simple answer anymore because there's so many products and opinions on the market. So um, it is my passion talking to horse owners about feeding horses. And, you know, I've talked to every kind um, of horse and horse owner out there. And as a for listeners of this podcast, I 
I would like to offer a coupon for my online course. I have a five lecture, three week equine nutrition course that's designed to give new horse owners a lot of confidence and purpose in their feed programs. So that code word is WSU pod, WSU POD. Put that in the coupon code under the um, on demand equine nutrition course for a discount. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, listeners should definitely do their own research, check out all those resources you suggested. Um, you can find resources in Qualtrics survey in the show notes. Uh, the Qualtrics will help give us feedback on how to improve this, and you could suggest future topics that you would like to learn about. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for listening to the Cougs Talk Stock podcast, brought to you by Washington State University Extension. You can review rate and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Cougs Talk Stock, where the additional resources from our podcasts are linked. Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at Cougs Talk Stock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.